Thank you, Paul, and uh, the rest of the team. I, you know, I, when, when people leave, I love it when folks just step up and serve, and I love the heart with which Paul leads us as well. So let's give thanks to the Lord for just that, and to Paul and the team, and uh, I also love that there's songs from different parts of the vineyard in different eras and different times, right? And then we all come together. Some of some songs we may be familiar with, others we're not, uh, but we're praising our God together. Uh, this is an exciting time of year. Christmas joy. What does that mean? There's a tree in the foyer. What's it there for? It's there because we are committed as a church to growing deeper, walking closer, and reaching farther. And a part of reaching farther is having an impact uh, on our community. And one of, the ways, one of the ways we love to do that is through the Ministry of Barrier Chaplains. And, and what they do is they care for those who are in our county jails, and they share the gospel with them. And the, the men and women who find themselves incarcerated for that time, sometimes during this time of year, they're really stressed for a lot of reasons, but one of the main ways they're stressed is that they cannot give gifts to their children during Christmas time because they're in jail. And so what Bay Area Chaplains does, it's a brilliant idea, is they, to those men and women, they're in jail, they ask them, what would you like to give your child as a gift? And then they fill out a little piece of paper. The chaplains collect those pieces of paper and partner with churches like ours and say, hey folks, can you go out and buy a gift for this child on behalf of their mom or dad? Wrap it and then bring it back to the church. And then what we do is we deliver those gifts then to those children on behalf of their mom or dad who's in jail. It's a beautiful way to care for the inmate. It's a beautiful way to care for the kids. And it's just a, we we love being a part of this. And so uh, be sure to grab a tag there on the tree as you leave, and uh, we'll want to have those gifts wrapped and back uh, by December 11th, and then we'll pray over them, and then we'll actually deliver them on Sunday the 18th. And, and maybe you're going, hey, I really can't buy a gift right now. No problem. You can deliver. Uh, delivering can be one of the most fun things you can possibly do. It's just a great time to be able to actually see the look on someone's face. If they're not home, you can leave it strategically at the door and, and you know, kind of leave a little note and saying, hey, this is, this is for you on behalf of your mom or dad. Uh, but we really love being a part of what God's doing that way. So I want to encourage you, uh, take a tag or sign up to deliver. And, and we'll look how the Lord uses that. Some questions have come up recently uh, about our access for all uh, project, and if you're not familiar with that, we prayed about it earlier. Um, it's uh, our desire to expand our facilities in such a way where we can give more access to more people. And so really it means this building right here, where you see that window, that's the original building. Um, and uh, we want to expand that out. We want to add an elevator. We want to have ADA-appropriate uh, restrooms. We want to expand the nursery as well, make the place more open and inviting for more people. And so as a part of that is we're actually in the middle of uh, raising funds for that. And uh, you can give to that through uh, the Access for All fund. Uh, you can write that on your check. There's a way to access that online as well. But there's also, a, we're looking for raising funds over in the next three years. Uh, we have a campaign going to do that. We need to raise about $900,000 in the next three years. And so the pledges for that, we're, we want to have those in um, by January 14th. Uh, but some have asked, hey, wait, can't I just do the, why do I have to use a paper card? You know, if you're on our mailing list, you've got a card in the mail. And someone said, I don't want to use a card. I don't like paper. Paper and I don't get along. Believe me, I get it. I'm in your camp. I'm, it doesn't get along with me either. Uh, well, there is a way on, on the website to do the exact same thing. So you can just go to our website, claytonvalleychurch.com. Click on the banner right on the front. It takes you to a page. You scroll down that page. And there's a little form. 
at the bottom of the form, there's a little box, are you a robot? Okay, so somehow prove that you're not a robot by clicking that box. I don't know. I'm thinking robots today are probably smart enough to click the box anyway, but whatever. Okay, so you're going to prove that you're not a robot by clicking that box, and then you're going to fill out that and get that into us so that we can together uh, be used by God to provide more access to more people to be a part of our church family and all that we're doing here. So uh, just wanted to make you aware of that so that you, you, you would know. Um, let's, this past weekend, what just happened? Well, we all had Thanksgiving, and we gave thanks. Uh, last week, even as a church family, it was so wonderful to have the Thanksgiving lunch and to enjoy that time together uh, to praise God. And we had people get baptized, and that was a thrill too. And, um, and then we had the, the week ahead. And I don't know about you, but sometimes we come through the end of that, and we're just sort of like, oh, we made it. We made it through Thanksgiving. And then here's what I think is crazy, all right? People embark upon this thing called Black Friday. <laughs> Why? Why do you want to do this? I, well, there's deals to be had, apparently. At least people think there are deals to be had. And, and, and really the idea is these deals are presented in such a way where it's like, these deals are so good, you cannot possibly pass them up. You know, you're almost like a fool if you don't go out and buy right now. And maybe you've noticed something, though, when you, when you look at the, the signs, a lot of them end, interestingly enough, with 99 cents. And, and there's a recent article that led with this headline. If the price ended in 99, you probably overpaid. And you're kind of going, well, what's, what's the deal? Well, the, the article goes on to say this. As you wander the aisles this holiday season, you're likely to encounter the number nine everywhere. There's $4.99 for that box of Christmas candy, $299 for that TV, and $99.99 for those stylish headphones. The trick of using nines to price items just below some major threshold is so common, we rarely think about it. And if we do, we probably try to pity the people, they go on to say, those poor suckers who don't know that $99.99 is the same as $100. It's the same thing. But the thing is, even if we're aware of that, the fact is, we've probably been tricked by that number more than we realize. The article goes on to describe that. Uh, because researchers have found something surprising about those nine ending prices. It's not just that $9.99 is a better deal than $10. The reality is this. $9.99 is probably a bad deal. It probably is a bad deal. And the article goes on to say this. If you see the 99 at the end of the price... You should think to yourself, wait a minute, hold on, what are they trying to do? They're trying to make this look like a better number. Uh, I remember in L.A., we were down there, I had a friend, uh, loves the Lord, he's, he's a business owner, and he was having a talk with a person who worked for him because they were trying to price things for their business. And, and they were pricing things, and he looks at the guy, he goes, no, 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 that's not going to work. I want skinny numbers. Give me skinny numbers. And I'm going, skinny numbers? What are you talking about? He's like, look, there are some numbers... They just look skinnier, all right? They look skinnier, and the person's going to be more active. And I'm like, okay, whatever. But the point is, this article is saying, these people are trying to utilize skinny numbers on you. And so if you see dot .99 at the end, realize this. The, the study that's featured in this article says, if the price ends in 9, on average, they are actually 18% higher than they normally are. Think about it. Now, am I bringing this up so that you're going to regret your purchases over the past weekend? <laughs> no. I mean, maybe you will. Maybe you will. But no, that's not why I'm bringing this up. Yes, we need to be discerning. 
and you know how we shop for gifts. But but really, this principle of discernment related to gifts is even more significant. It is much more significant when it comes to spiritual gifts, and that's what the apostle Paul is addressing in First Corinthians chapter twelve, verses one through eleven. Why? Because the church in Corinth at this time was not dealing with gifts with discernment. They were instead taking the spiritual gifts that all Christians, all people who've come to Christ by faith, they receive these from the Holy Spirit. They were taking certain gifts and they were saying, hey, if you've got this gift, you're really spiritual. You're really something. And if you only have this gift, well, then it's not that big of a deal. You're okay. We'll kind of put you on the back row. And so in the church in Corinth, the, the, the gifts were not being valued for the purpose for which God gave them to the church. They weren't being valued to build up the church. They weren't being valued to edify or for the common good. Instead, they were being used for the purpose of puffing up individuals with pride or puffing up even the church as a whole with pride. And so when we don't use the spiritual gifts that God's given us in light of God's purposes for his desired ends, what happens is we end up using them, sadly, to puff ourselves up, or even worse, to divide the church. And that's what was happening in in Corinth. And so Paul is dealing with that in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. And as we embarked upon that several weeks ago, we saw several things. First of all, we saw that, that all Christians, all who receive Jesus by faith, they receive spiritual gifts from God. And, and then we saw also that if we're going to be those who receive spiritual gifts from God, we need to learn to discern uh, several things. Um, we have to learn to discern, A, what the gifts are, but then we also have to learn to remember who the gifts are from, namely God. And thirdly, we need to remember what the gifts are for, which is, again, for the common good. And then from there, we went into the spiritual gifts and kind of broke them down into four major categories. We talked about the revelatory gifts, the sign gifts, the speaking gifts, and the supporting gifts. We kind of backed off to do an overview of the New Testament just so we could see what is Paul talking about in this section of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And, and we saw several weeks back that, first of all, the revelatory gifts included two, the gift of apostle and the gift of prophet. Apostles spoke God's word directly. They spoke direct revelation. And they were attested to by miracle signs and wonders. They were a unique office. There was a criteria you had to fulfill in order to be an apostle. You had to see Jesus in his earthly ministry. You had to be an eyewitness of his resurrection. And you needed to be appointed directly by him to that office. Uh, and so we, we saw that, again, the gift of apostle uh, is no longer present in the church today because no one can fulfill those criteria anymore today. Uh, we also saw that the prophet as well was one who spoke revelation directly from God. And those who prophesied, he or she would speak a near-term prophecy that would be fulfilled, just like in the Old Testament. The standard in the Old Testament was a person would give a near prophecy. If it was fulfilled, then they could know for, for sure that this is a prophet from God. And then they could speak other prophecies. And in the same way, that confirmatory way of speaking, uh, forth-telling, uh, was accompanied by foretelling, telling things that would happen before they would happen. Uh, we saw in Agabus, for example, that, that prophet Agabus in, in Acts uh, and how his ministry worked in that way. And so we also saw that prophets were there for that reason, for that time, for that season, um, and, and they were used by God to give revelation as the, the, the New Testament was not present. People didn't have New Testament writings. They were being composed at that time. And God was speaking directly to his people through them. Um, we also uh, saw then the sign gifts as well. And there were several of them. There were um, everything from healings to miracles 
to tongues, to the interpretation of tongues. And we went over in, in detail what those things were. Healings were literally all kinds of healings. There was direct supernatural power for someone to just heal any malady that someone would have at that point, at that time. And it was complete and full healing. Um, and it was really the purpose of that was to attract attention to and center of people's focus on the messenger and the message they were bringing. We saw that in Acts chapter 4. Uh, when, uh, when there was that healing and, and then the person who healed was able to say, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus and I'm declaring to you this message about the risen Christ. Uh, miracles were the same thing. There were times that God would, uh, through this person with this gift, would violate the normal kind of uh, state in which the universe works under the laws of nature. And, and the, the dead were raised. Uh, there were other things that were done. And, and the apostles were the ones that carried this out. As a matter of fact, at uh, 2 Corinthians 12, we saw that miracles and healings were a sign of an apostle. And that was their calling card. And so when Paul says to the Corinthian church, hey, I'm not a lesser apostle. I'm a true apostle. And I demonstrated that to you because the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with signs and wonders and miracles. And so we saw again that those various gifts were given for the purpose of authenticating the apostles. Uh, and they're not normative for today. And if you want to uh, hear more about how we would got to those conclusions and scripturally where we saw those things, I would encourage you to listen to the previous messages because we spent about three weeks on that. And you can go and, and, and listen to those for yourself. But uh, if you weren't with us, we, we saw the gift of tongues as well. We realized that tongues uh, was a gift given whereby someone would speak a language they had never learned. Uh, it was something where automatically right there in Acts chapter 2, when the, the, they were speaking, they were speaking not only in languages they'd never learned, they were speaking the very dialects of those who were hearing them. And when they heard uh, the message of the, of the gospel through their tongues, uh, through the language they had known since they were children, there was an opening, there was a doorway. Uh, I had a great conversation with someone a couple weeks back, and, and they've been to, on various missions trips, and, uh, and they noticed that very thing, that when they were traveling about and speaking with people, if there was effort made to learn words in the languages of those that the folks were being visited and they would say something to them in those languages, immediately there was like a, oh, there were ears. There's like, there's a way in which the, the, the language that each of us grew up with, when someone expresses themselves to us in that way, there's an immediate opening. You can see how powerful a sign this would be. And that's why we're told that dead tongues is a sign for unbelievers. Uh, unlike what is often practiced today, which is some sort of heavenly gibberish uh, or some sort of nonsensical um, babbling of sorts. Uh, that's not really anywhere to be found in the New Testament. And we'll talk a little bit more about those, those who would, who would uh, hold to those ideas of speaking in tongues when we get uh, further through this section of 1 Corinthians. But tongues were, were a, a massive sign. And then interpretation of tongues, Paul will say later, uh, that's another gift that corresponds to tongues. It was someone who had not learned those languages who is now interpreting for the person who spoke uh, so that the church could be edified and built up. Uh, because it doesn't, uh, if someone's speaking in a language they never learned, but people can't understand what's being said, how does it build up the body? And Paul will describe that more later. Uh, so with, with uh, those two sets of gifts, the revelatory gifts and the sign gifts, uh, we would see those as not being a normative for Christian experience today. And then we went on to the speaking gifts, and we saw that evangelist is a gift that God gives. And this is a person, he or she is so uh, 
able to share the gospel with people, friends, family, co-workers, wherever they find themselves. And they're able to share it with clarity. They're able to share it with a winsomeness. They're able to, to um, help people come to the, see their need for Jesus. And, uh, and it's a beautiful thing to, to, to um, really be a, a witness to that and also to, to use that gift. Now, we also saw that just because someone doesn't have the gift of evangelism doesn't mean that they shouldn't share the gospel. We'll see that with actually all the gifts. Uh, we, we still need to be out there doing that. Um, exhortation was, was another um, gift that was given. Uh, exhortation is the idea of someone being able to uh, urge people either to honor God with their choices or, or to maybe help urge those who are feeling weak uh, and sad to have assurance in Jesus. So there's a way in which they, they are able to see someone's need, see what the person needs to hear, and bring that truth from God's word to them in such a way where they're either encouraged to honor God more or encouraged to trust in him and have that assurance and that buoyancy of heart that comes from placing faith in Christ and his work. Uh, we also saw the gift of teaching, and that's, that's uh, someone who is able to take truth from the Word of God, we see it referenced in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12, 28 and Ephesians 4. Uh, and they're able to take that and, and break it down in such a way where it's understandable and then just share it with others so that they can then come to that place of grasping the gospel in a clearer way. Uh, we then also saw word of wisdom and word of knowledge. Uh, those are other gifts that would be associated with the gift of teaching. And, uh, and we saw that that was clearly in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, uh, the very passage that we've been in, where Paul lists that out. And it, when, whenever teaching's done, it's, the idea is that those three words, wisdom and knowledge and word, are kind of intertwined with that concept. Um, and so we, we found that that was another way in which um, that teaching is brought forward. And then we also saw the gift of pastor-teacher. This would be someone who... Uh, it has the teaching gift, but also has a shepherdly concern for the church. And so there's that, it's, it's, it's an, a gift, it's also an, an office, it's broader than just teaching. Uh, it's, a, it's a way in which, um, as, as Jesus charged uh, Peter, you know, feed my sheep, tend to my sheep, care for them. Uh, it's what Paul would talk about with the Ephesians elders. Be on guard for yourself and for all the flock, among whom the Holy Spirit's made you an overseer to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And then we went on from there to talk about the supporting gifts. And we talked about the gift of helps and how this is someone who has a way of just seeing a need and then going, I'm going to meet that need. They see what's going on, they're aware of it, and then they go in and say, what can I do about it? How can I make a difference? And so this happens you know, with caring for the needy or, or you know, volunteering for things like the refuge food pantry or, or decorating or, or, or cooking at a fellowship event or, or serving as an assistant you know, in CVC Kids or, or, or setting something up or tearing it down or cleaning up or wh- wherever it is. If there's a need, they want to make it happen. It's a beautiful gift and it's so, so uh, just powerful when Christ's people together engage in that way. Uh, the gift of mercy, as we noted last week, some people think that's the gift of being nice to people. And that's not what that gift is. No, it's more than that. It, it's a, actually, it's, the gift of mercy is being able to experience a particular kind of distress or misery or pain alongside someone else. It's like you, you're someone, you're someone, this is, this is a brother or sister who looks at someone else and not just says, oh yeah, that's really hard, but who's actually there. I know several of you. I've actually been helped by several of you. 
I've watched you walk up to someone and say something to that person. I've seen the face in the other person as they go, whoa, thank you. And so it's, it's, it's a special skill to relieve distress or, or misery of another person. And, uh, and we see that uh, Dorcas uh, is someone in the New Testament who demonstrated she abounded with that gift. She would do, uh, Acts 9 tells us she would, she would give deeds of kindness and charity. And the, the passage says, which she continually did. So Dorcas is a great example of that from Acts. And so the church there in Joppa was much richer because of what she did and the way she exercised that gift. Okay, well, today we're going we're gonna to complete our survey of the spiritual gifts as we continue looking at these beautiful supporting gifts. And the next one would be uh, the gift of faith. And uh, the gift of faith is one of those things where I, I've heard people, some people say, well, that's not, that's not really a gift that that happens uh, these days. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, now, now, believe me, it's different than um, saving faith, right? Everyone, we come to Jesus by faith. It's not the same thing as that. But this gift is, is a beautiful um, way in which uh, a man or woman or, or a boy or girl in Christ trusts God. They trust him. It's supernaturally infused trust on a level that, that shows up in terms of endurance and trial. It shows up in persistent prayer. Uh, it, it shows up in encouraging others to trust God too. So this is someone who's empowered by God to trust God through times and circumstances of trial. Actually, it could also be someone who's able to rejoice and see what God's hand is doing in times of joy too. It's not just limited to that. But it's sharing a reliance on God among brothers and sisters, and they're actually used by God to strengthen the faith of other people. You ever been in a situation like that before? I mean, it's just hard. It's a hard time. Maybe there's something happening in your family. Maybe it's at work. Um, maybe you're just in one of those moments where you've experienced loss on a deep level. Someone you love has gone home to be with the Lord. Maybe it's, it's a, a, a trial that's happening with your children. Whatever it is, but there's a brother or sister in the middle of that who is able to, with you, look at you and go, you know what? God's got this. He's got it. And it doesn't downplay, I mean, I, you know, it's not, this is not the person who goes, hey, just shut up and trust God. Put on a happy face. You know, those people, you just want to hit them, right? It's like, no, that's not helpful. Now, this is someone who is with you in the moment, but is also able to say, God really does have this. And you can trust him. And I'm trusting him too with you in this. It's a really important gift. And, and with the gift of faith, when we have those kinds of brothers and sisters around us, it helps all of us. It takes all of us and causes us to look up in the midst of whatever it is that we're facing. Another gift is called distinguishing spirits. We find that in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. And, and we're going to see this uh, utilized in, in chapter 14 because Paul's going to talk about when, in Corinth, when the prophets would speak, uh, there would be a group who would need to evaluate what the prophets said. 
and compare it with truth and to make sure that it's actually of God. Because, again, in chapter 12, verse 1, he's talking about how there are people who are saying things in the assembly that are not true. They're not prophets of God, and they need to be called out, addressed, and dealt with. Um, but, but, but so distinguishing spirits, we will see it later on. But really, this is, this is someone who has that ability to discern from the scriptures, especially what's true and what isn't. They'll hear something and they'll go, wait a minute, I don't know. Or, wow, yeah, that's really true. Or, no, that isn't. So when, when we're told in 1 John to not receive all the spirits but to test them, uh, this would be a brother or sister who is particularly good at that. They really grasp the word of God and, and they're able to, uh, to make those distinctions. And, and by the way, just because there are exceptionally gifted discerners, that again, doesn't mean that all of us don't need to be discerning, grow in discernment, and learn, and share. Um, but, but yeah, this gift is very much active today, and, and, and they're able to, to test the spirits to see if they are from God or not. Another gift that we would find uh, is, is the gift of giving. And, and this gift is listed among other gifts in Romans 12, 8. It just says, the one who gives, let them do so with liberality. And so it's someone who has a special ability to invest what God's given them to further what God is doing. And, and they're able to do so in such a way where they have particular joy in seeing God use what's been given them to further his work. There's an open-handedness. There's, there's a way in which they, they, they want to be able to see God have an impact uh, through either the, the financial treasures they've been given or also with, with other ways in which they want to give of themselves. It can be their time, it can be their effort, their labor, whatever it would be. But I, but I think oftentimes we most typically will associate this gift with people who have a lot of resources to give. Uh, they have large material resources. And that can be the case, but I think it's important, important to notice that when the Bible describes this, though, it, it can also be people who have limited resources, but they also possess the same gift. They use wisely, whatever it is God's put into their hands, they use it wisely to further his work. And, and, and it could be even what Paul referred to in 1 Corinthians 13. Um, he's using hyperbolic language, but he says... Um, you know, if I, if I sell, give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I do all of it, and what he's saying there is, hey, if I'm so gifted, I give everything away. If I don't have love, it doesn't matter. And we'll get to that when we, when we approach chapter 13. Um, a wonderful example of this gift of giving we would find in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 36 and 37, describing Barnabas. And, and he was... Uh, one of those who was selling his property and giving the proceeds to help the needy within the church. And really, Barnabas' name means son of encouragement. That's certainly how he lived. He's an outstanding example. He sold uh, his tract of land. He brought the proceeds to the apostles to distribute, to relieve the needs of others. And so it's that kind of giving, that skillful giving that created a very wholesome atmosphere for the preaching of the word. It it also became an encouragement as those who were needy were then cared for by by the church. And there was just an openness to say, Lord, it's all yours. It doesn't belong to us. 
And, uh, and by the way, am I telling you now that God wants you to sell your house and give all your... No, I'm not saying that to you. But I am saying this. Do we all recognize that whatever we have, it's not ours? It's his? And do we all recognize that we want to be stewards with what he's given us? And by the way, if we don't live like that, you know what happens to us? We become owned by the things that we're supposed to own. <laughs> Um, but at the same time, I, I, I think it's important to keep in mind the New Testament's tone towards this idea of giving. Um, and I, I love uh, what first, 2 Corinthians 9 says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart. Notice, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The idea of reluctantly would be this, oh man, are you kidding me? We gotta give again? I don't want to give. I've had, you know, if that's the attitude, please just keep it. Don't. That's not honoring God. That's not, that's not the way we approach it. Or under, under compulsion. That's the idea of you're getting some external pressure. Uh, that's something, as a church, you know, we're not, we're not going to do that. We are not that church. If Maybe you're visiting today and you're like, what is this place about? We're not the folks that are saying, okay, let's guilt everybody into giving more money. Oh, hold still. I'm going to turn the giving screws a little tighter. This is going to hurt you more than it hurts me. You know, that's not us. Because we don't want people to give for that reason. Uh, this verse is so important that it's not reluctantly, it's not under compulsion or external pressure. No, instead we give because God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, that word cheerful has the idea of hilariousness. It's like, you know, you're, you're watching your favorite show and you are just busting up laughing. And if you're like my house, it's probably you laughing by yourself. <laughs> I'm usually the one laughing. Everyone looks like, really? Was that funny? I'm like, I think it was. <laughs> but anyway, you're just, that's the way you give. God loves a cheerful giver. And so that's how we want to approach it too. Um, but some have the gift of giving. And, and, I, and I think it's important to notice this because, you know, those who have the gift of giving, this is another one of those gifts that doesn't get a lot of attention. And there's a reason for it, actually. You know, biblically, Jesus says this, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. So you want it done in secret. You don't want a bunch of people to know. You're not going to be like the Pharisee who's like, you know, when, when they gave in the, in the first century, there was a, a bowl and you could hear the coins go in. And the Pharisees would walk up and they'd be like, Guys, listen up. You know? And they'd expect applause. And of course, when Jesus is observing, he notices the poor woman who takes two tiny coins and goes, clink, clink. And he says, she gave more than everybody. Why? Because she gave everything she had. So again, the amount, that's not the point. The heart um, behind that and so, um, oftentimes, yeah, you, you're not thanked. So, and by the way, I have no idea what people give here. I never will. I have no idea. I don't want to know. That's kept deliberately out of my zone. Um, but you know who you are. And everyone gives. We're all called to give. But for those of you who have the gift of giving, I'm just grateful God sees that. And, and those who have that gift, by the way, they are overjoyed with that reality. God sees. God knows. And so we praise God for that. Uh, the last gift that we're going to be seeing today and 
it's going to conclude our survey is the gift of administration. We find that in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12. And, uh, and this is, is the gift of, of being able to take different tasks, different things that need to happen, to organize it in a way to build a team of people to do those things and to release them to do it. Kind of the idea of leadership. Um, in Romans 12, 8, it can be translated that way. Those who lead, lead with diligence. But it's this special skill in administrative direction that, that enables someone to kind of help the church to not just do a bunch of things, but to go in a certain direction and to do it with purpose and, and, and with an end in mind. And it, it's the use of the resources that God's entrusted to a local church family and enables them to do it in the most effective way. So it's not just a matter, a matter of doing something. It's good, better, best. And those with administration are able to help us to, to pursue things in the very best way possible, to, to harness the maximum potential of a local body of believers. And thankfully, there are many in, in, in a church family that would have this ability, and we so need them to use it. And I think a lot of times we have a church filled with a bunch of talented, spiritually gifted people, but what can easily happen is that they all start going off and doing their own thing. You know, kind of this, they're doing this, and they're doing this, and they're over here. And, and what happens is, rather than there being a concerted effort in a certain direction to accomplish something, there's just a, a lot of people spinning wheels in a lot of different places. And thankfully, those who have this gift can take those folks and help organize them into a, a unified uh, direction in front and to, to accomplish specific tasks. Um, now realize this. There are plenty of administrators in the world some with great skill. I mean, how often does it make the news cycle now? You know, this company now has this CEO and this company's doing this. The, the reality is in the church, in God's family, that skill is carried out in a way that is very, very antithetical to the way we typically see it in the world. Uh, Jesus would talk about this when he said, you know, the Romans, when they exercised leadership, they lorded over those who were under them. And then he says, you're not to live that way. Jesus is the one that brought forward this idea of, of you know how you lead? You serve. You know how you uh, exercise authority? You put yourself underneath. He takes the whole paradigm and just flips it upside down. And so this idea of administration or leading, it's not tyrannical. It's not dominating. Uh, it's, not, it's not this, you know, kind of like bottom line only, let's make this happen at all costs. No, instead, it's done with wisdom and grace. It's done by a team of people, by a group of people who are gifted so they can pool their skills together. Because let's face it, no single person has all the right answers. And, and, and leadership needs to be a team effort. And we would see in the New Testament several different passages that would describe this um, and that talk about leaders. Uh, some of them in First Timothy, for example, um, others in First Thessalonians. But there's, each time what we find in those passages is that these are leaders who, who have an unselfish concern for the flock and, and, and there's a desire to care for others. There's an element of nurturing others. There's an element of, of building up others while also giving direction and helping teams together to unify and utilize their gifts in such a way that the effort is brought forward. And, and, uh, and so it's, it's a beautiful thing when that happens. Uh, so, those are the spiritual gifts that we would see 
uh, described in the New Testament. I know it took us several weeks to get here. And again, if you weren't here for that, uh, feel free to go back to hear what, what we've described before. But, but as we see these things, we need to understand that the Spirit of God has actively given us gifts. And, and, and really, we want to highlight the fact that without these gifts, without the Holy Spirit at work in and through us in this way, there's no way we're actually living out the life God's called us to live, either individually or as a church family. And isn't it beautiful how, again, the Holy Spirit is active in the ordinary things of each day. Uh, and we talked about that before. You know, we need to see the supernatural nature of the ordinary Christian life. We need to live that out. And we do so by, by embracing and, 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 and carrying out and, and using these gifts. And they're all important. That's the other thing. Some of them we tend to prioritize. We do what the Corinthian church does. They might have done it with tongues. But we do that too. We're like, oh yeah, well, that one, he's you know, really a prominent in terms of exhorting people. Um, this person, all they do is they, you know, they help in the kitchen. And it's like, whoa, time out. They're all important. They're all to be used together. And we'll see Paul describe that further in the, in, when we uh, go through the rest of this section. Um, but think about the amazing nature, for example, of these supporting gifts. You know, someone steps into kids' ministry, not because they think that they're great with kids, but because they want to assist the teacher. Maybe they don't have the gift of teaching, but they just want to be there. They're, they have the gift of helps, and they're going to serve. And that's what that is. The Holy Spirit gave him or her that gift to do that. That's a stunning thing. Or when someone has an open ear to listen to someone in sorrow or gives a shoulder to cry on for a brother or sister in pain or there's grief or disappointment, that's the gift of mercy given by the Holy Spirit. That's a supernatural thing. That's beautiful. When someone's empowered to trust God through times and circumstances of trial, they're able to, to rejoice and see God's hand. You know, and maybe it's in times of joy, but maybe it's also in a time of great difficulty. They're able to share their own heart of reliance on God, encouraging those around them to look up and do the same. That's the gift of faith given by the Holy Spirit. Or when someone sees their resources so clearly as God's resources, and with joy they give large amounts of time, and, 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 and their abilities and financially what they've been given to further God's kingdom. That's the gift of giving, giving, given by the Holy Spirit. And it's a beautiful, wondrous thing to see. And it's a supernatural thing that God's accomplishing through that person. Or when someone's able to organize or mobilize teams of people, set up plans, multiply the work of the ministry through others using their gifts. That's the gift of administration at work. And that's, again, something to rejoice in. Uh, and we talked about this before, you know. We, we want to make sure that we see the spiritual gifts for what they are and that we are stunned by them and that we utilize them. Um, as we've contrasted before, and again, this is a, as we've said before, this is a tier two issue, right? This is not a tier one thing. There are differing views on this issue, um, and uh, for our brothers and sisters who might differ with us on certain things, a lot of times it's like, well, we want to see sensational, amazing things. We want to see astounding things. And our point is this. You know what? Every spiritual gift at work is an amazing, astounding, supernatural thing. And let's rejoice in that. As we wrap up today, let me just ask you a question. What's keeping you from serving God with your gift or gifts? 
And maybe your response is something like this. Well, come on, Chris. Why are you making this such a big deal? I'm not that big of a deal to God or anybody else. Well, actually, if that's your thought, you need to know something. You're not being discerning. Because the truth is, you are essential. And so is everybody else. You know something? If you see somebody else who has a gift or gifts and you admire that, do you realize that their gift or gifts are not as effective unless you are utilizing your gifts? Your gift is not for you. It's for the common good. And we need to use our gifts together to glorify God together that his work would be furthered in the lives of not only ourselves but in the community around us. So again, I would ask, what is keeping you from serving God with your gifts? You might think, well, I don't really know what my gifting is. I think that's, that's an important place to arrive at. We need to recognize that, and there's some steps I think we can take very briefly. First, recognize this amazing truth, okay? Everyone has at least one. <laughs> If you're a believer, you've got at least one. You've got to have that settled in your heart. You might not know what it is, but there's at least one that you have if you've come to Christ, if you've placed your trust in him. Secondly, look at then the possibilities of serving and be aware. Just ask God to give you more awareness. Because it might be that you're not aware of your gift because you actually haven't even been looking for places to serve. Somehow you got caught up in this thing where it's like, well, I go to church, I show up, I go home. And as I mentioned before, we're really glad you're here. That's wonderful. But the reality is we're not walking or living as the Bible describes a believer to live unless we are engaged and serving. So pray. Ask God to show you the opportunities around you. And then the next step is very, very simple, but probably the scariest one for most people. Experiment. Like, experiment? What are you talking about? Yeah, I'm not talking about, like, you know, blindly walking in. I, I'm, I, I'm talking about looking around and going, you know what? I'm going to engage in this need. I'm going to serve in this way. I'm going to step forward. And it might be the most challenging step because, let's face it, it might bring a sense of failure. That can be scary to us. Uh, but realize this. If you're stepping forward to serve, you can't fail. Like, Chris, I could fail. No, you can't. You're following God. Some might say, well, wait, I'm being presumptuous. I'm assuming that I have a gift that I don't have. No, you're not. Really, you're not. You're stepping up to serve. The reality is, is we're all called to engage in the things that these gifts would, would touch on. We've, we've seen that. And so, for example, I shouldn't have shared my faith. I'm not an evangelist. No, you need to share your faith. I shouldn't have encouraged someone. I don't have the gift of encouragement. Um, no, you need to encourage each other. We talked about that last time. So you've not sinned by doing any of these things. You're just experimenting and stepping forward and going, Lord, am I gifted? Is this what your calling is for me? Um, I think this is the hardest step, but I want to encourage you to do that. And I would say this week especially, just think about that. Go, Lord, how can I step into serving you? By the way, I think another beautiful way to discern where to go is to consider this list of gifts. When you look at the speaking gifts and the supporting gifts, Look at those and go, okay, those are all places I can serve. In other words, we don't have an official sign-up table for encouragers. 
I think a lot of times people wait like, well, the church has got to set up a list and we've got to go and then I get training for it. No, just do it. We don't need to set up an encouragement ministry. You can just use your gift. You've got everything you need. Um, and then as you're engaging in that, as you're discerning that, you want to evaluate, certainly yourself, and go, okay, Lord, you know, is this where I fit? Are there other things I can do? One of the things, again, I love about Clayton Valley Church is that we are not the place that says once you sign up for a ministry, you are doing that ministry until either you die or Jesus comes back. No, you, you get to hop in and go, ah, no, yes, no, okay, and evaluate. Another thing to do would be to, to look for the reactions of other people around you. And find out if it, if it confirms that or not. God will do surprising things. I may have shared this story with you before, but I'll just, I'll just close with this because it's an example with me. Um, I did not plan on being a pastor at all. Was not my idea. Janet is cracking up because she knew me before. And she's, like, she's like, I knew it. <laughs> okay. She might have known it. I certainly didn't. I, I was a jazz guitar guy, right? That was my thing. Uh, that's what I was going to do. The first time I ever taught was an accident. It really was. Uh, it was the college group at Emmanuel Church in Burbank. And uh, our, our main guy, he couldn't uh, make it a given week. And so just as a team, we were sitting around like, what are we going to do? Who's going to teach? And someone looked at me and said as a joke, they were kidding. Like, hey, we should have Chris do it. <laughs> and I just said, sure, I'll do it. And they were like, oh, <laughs> like, well, I don't know if I meant it to go there, but okay. So I did. I, I, I did. I just stepped out and did it. And then I found myself going, huh, I actually enjoyed that. And then the responses I got from other people was, oh, that was, you know. But again, I was not going to do this at all. Um, I then remember later on, I have a friend, Kevin, and um, he's from Hawaii, Great guy, loves the Lord, just disciples guys all the time. But um, he ended up being a missionary to Russia. And I distinctly remember, I'm sitting there in the congregation, he's up on the platform and he's saying, I never planned to do this, this is the last thing I was going to do, but God is sending me to Russia. And I remember going, huh, huh, that's hilarious, you know. And then God's like, yeah, dude, just wait. <laughs> just wait, what am I going to do with you? Uh, I go to seminary. I was not intending to be a pastor still. I was just going to be a jazz guitar guy who knew his Bible really well so I could share with other people. That's what I told Janet at least. She didn't buy it. But God has a way of doing that. And I'm not, again, please know, I give you examples in my life all the time of things I don't do well. There's plenty of them. So I'm not sitting there going, so just be like me, please. I, but I would say in this situation, at this time, God graced me at least to step out to try something. And as a result of that, he confirmed it. And as a result of that, he's used it more. And so I just want to encourage you to do the same thing. Experiment. It's okay. It's scary. Yeah, I know. It's okay. Try it. Get out there. Look at that list and go, okay, Lord... What can I start doing more? I think with our gifts, what we also want to do is we want to learn to develop them over time. Develop them more. Use them more. And see what God's going to do. Um, make yourself available. And then serve. 
as you use your gifts, use them, practice. Make sure you always, always, always use them in love. We'll get to that later. But Paul talks about love. Love is so important. Love is the defining characteristic of a Christian. Love is the very kind of just environment through which we utilize the gifts. So much so that Paul will even say, you know what, sometimes it's loving not to use your gift. But that's a discussion for another time. The main thing is we need to look towards and act towards building up the others around us in love, in the body of Christ. So take action this week. Go to God in prayer and go, Lord, show me. And then step up and serve him. And as you do, all of us together will benefit from that. All of us will grow together because of that. And we will see the supernatural nature of the ordinary Christian life lived out day in, day out. And as we gather as a church family to his glory. Let's pray. Lord, help us to apply what you've shared with us today. Grace us to really understand that you are the one who gives spiritual gifts to all who come to you. And Lord, if there are those today here amongst us who have not yet come to that place of trusting you, thank you that the, the, the main gift that's available to all is for those to receive eternal life in Jesus Christ by trusting him. And so we would pray, Lord, that by your grace you'd even work now. And uh, if there are those here today who've never yet received Jesus, that they would just simply admit to you that they are a sinner, that they need forgiveness, and they would trust in Jesus' finished work, that their sins would be wiped away, cast in the depths of the sea, never to be seen again, and that they'd be reconciled to you. So we would ask, Lord, that you'd do that amongst us even this day. But Father, help us to seek you to grow to grasp how you've gifted us, that we would delight in you and that we would serve you. Recognizing full well that everyone, everyone is completely and in every way significant that the gifts would be building up each other by your grace in love for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Chris.